0: Women making waves.
1: So I had a really interesting couple of evenings actually, Linda, a couple of weeks ago. We have a family friend, in fact, it's Simon's cousin, who I think have just been brilliant actually. They have decided to host three families, three families in their house. And they say it's been life enriching to have three families who have come from ukraine, of course we're talking about the Ukrainian war at the moment, and they have decided they want to help and they're hosting three families it's pretty amazing
2: isn't it It really is that is absolutely brilliant. We thought about doing the same, and so did my sister in law mm. my my sister in law stays um stays in the highlands. And the problem, actually, that they had was nobody particularly wanted to be as far out as she was, you know, away from away from the main cities and from potentially their other friends and family, understandably, because people will want to stay in contact with well, not just their family, but other Ukrainians as well. Well, that's
1: it. That's right. It's all very well saying, isn't it? That they're going to come over here in and, and, and the UK and be safe.
2: But it's not as simple as that, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. And you you probably want to be where you can buy food that you're used to eating and all that exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, there's nothing there's nothing particularly simple about this. And, of course, I think a lot of Ukrainians have chosen to stay quite close to Ukraine as well, all, of course, hoping to go back home as soon as this war is over and start rebuilding mm. the country again. Don't we all wish for it to be over very soon? Absolutely. For
1: Ukrainian people, basically. It's it's really harsh. And on that
2: note, we spoke to someone very,
1: very interesting, didn't we? Yes,
2: we did indeed. We did indeed. We're going to be speaking to Tatyana Preobrazhenska. And she has actually chosen to stay in Kiev. They did move out of Kiev for a little while when the Russians were nearby and it was shelled, but they are now back in Kiev. you hear what Tatiana says. Very, very interesting conversation with her. And we also have been chatting... To a composer. That's exciting, isn't it? Because we've had we've had lots of musicians on in the past, but this is an actual composer of classical music, Susie. We're going up in the world, I think.
1: <laughs> we are going up in the world. I think it's also really interesting as well that she was and is still an entertainment lawyer and she decided, didn't she, that she wanted to change career. And I, I really,
2: really enjoy listening to women who decide they want to do something very different that's absolutely right and her name is lisa logan and she she has recently had not just one but two <laughs> premieres of her work it's all kind of coming to a head for her and she's really thrilled and excited about it so we're going to have an absolutely great chat with lisa logan as well but first we're going to hear from ukrainian Tetiana preobrazhenska
1: You're listening to Women Making Waves, radio show and podcast, brought to you
2: by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. We're joined today by Tatiana Preobrazhenska, who is a marketing communication specialist and translator working for an IT organization in Ukraine. When the war started, Tatiana chose to stay in Kyiv And we would like to hear her story. Welcome to Women Making Waves, Tatiana.
1: Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hi there. Nice to have you on
0: Women Making Waves.
2: So tell us a little about what you do for a living.
0: I'm a marketing communication specialist in a special organization. It's an IT organization which um, Delivers uh, digital services for Ukrainian research and education institutions. It is called Uran, and uh, it is in REN of Ukraine National Research and Education Network.
2: To come straight to it on the twenty fourth of February. Russia yes. invaded Ukraine. There was a bit of a build-up, though, prior to the invasion. What was the atmosphere like in Kiev at that point? It must have been pretty frightening.
0: It was, but, you know, it was a mixture of uh, some feelings because all the people reacted differently, and myself as well, because you've heard all those news, you've read it, and there was the fear, there were some facts that you understand that they are, they gather the army, and it might mean the war, but nobody, and included me and my family, we did not believe it could happen in reality. I remember I was asking my dad, who is 70 years old, and I was asking him, Dad, if it really will be the case, but I remember he answered, do you really believe they could bomb the Kiev? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody believed, and um, we even had uh, a party a couple days before the war, because my husband had his birthday, and we had a birthday party, and that was when our family, big family, gathered together for the last time since the war. I hope it will be.
1: I remember at the beginning, Tatiana, when we had the news about, you know, the simmering moment of it all trying to take place. And when it actually happened, when the first of the bombs arrived and there was obviously some panic in the cities, it was extraordinary. But people just turned around to the camera, the TV camera, and said, this is 2022 Why is this happening? Everyone is just aghast. We're supposed to be in a modern world, aren't we? But I I guess that's what you were thinking why now why 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 is it happening or did you just you sort of realize that at some stage that it was simmering behind but would they really do it
0: I don't think I was was thinking about why now because actually the war was already in Ukraine for eight years before that it's just uh, for example me and my family we didn't feel it so much as people in the eastern part of Ukraine where the war had uh, had taken place for eight years. But the war was there on our threshold. And um, it wasn't about the timing, I think. It was more about the fact itself Mm. that Mm. it's impossible really to to imagine even, to imagine the full-scale combats, bombing, all these things that uh, i have seen previously just in the movies about the first or second world war really it's it's unbelievable it mm.
2: is actually it is i think it's given all of us a lot to think about because yeah. it is like it just makes you think what if that was here you know yeah. what if did lots of people that you knew did
0: they start to leave or talk about leaving at that point? Some of them were leaving even before, but uh, mostly people began leaving on the twenty fourth and after, mm. after the bombing began, after the war began. Yes, I know a lot of people who left. Yes, was that something that you ever considered? Honestly, no, not, not, my husband insisted I to leave. He was very persistent and I think every moment we talked uh, for a couple of weeks, especially that we had a lot of offers from our colleagues abroad to help us, to help me, because he cannot leave. He is a man uh, who should stay in a country because he is of military age still. But um, deep in my heart, I didn't um, want to And I didn't do it. I decided to stay as far as I can be with my husband and with my younger son and my two brothers who are still here. (laughs) I cannot imagine uh, how to live without my family. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my brother's wife, she has a small daughter, toddler, and uh, they left uh, for France in the first week. And when she was already settled in France and writing to me and crying a lot about, she's uh, very far from her beloved husband and from her home. I remember uh, thinking about, I would feel the same. I cannot survive mentally, could not survive without without my loved ones uh, being near me. And I, I understand that she was saving a small daughter, but I have no one to save except myself. And that's not the case I want to do, uh, except only the situation will become so terrible, so horrible. I'm just a weak woman and I cannot be frightened so much that I can think about mm-hmm. running away. But thanks God, uh, it's yeah. not the case for now.
1: But Tatiana, it's it, there's no right or wrong in these situations, is there? You yes. Either, you you either decide it. It really is up to the individual. Definitely. And, and, yes. and I get the impression from you that you absolutely feel for all the people, your friends, the, the population in Ukraine who have, have gone abroad for whatever reason. Yeah. But it, it, you know, I look at that and my heart breaks, as you say, when you rip a family and a community apart. And on the same token, you're torn because you want to stay. But yet there is that that moment, isn't there, where you think, I wonder if I should.
2: Huge dilemma. Mm. And, you know, I I can't make up my mind whether it's braver to stay or braver to go because it's it's a horrible decision to have to make. There's no good answer there, is there? They're both awful decisions in some respects, because if you stay, you you don't know what's going to happen. Yes, But if you go, you don't know what's going to happen. It's a horrible, horrible dilemma, really.
0: I haven't thought yeah. about
2: it so much until I've heard you speaking just now. There's no easy answer to this.
0: There is no easy answer. And uh, you might try to imagine that it's not a calm situation when you can uh, just sit and plan and think about everything. It's really horrible. All the time you feel fear. Uh, and confusion. The main feelings I remember from that time and you are very, very worried about your kids about your loved ones because they are not all the time near you, nearby and when you hear the explosion sounds, you just want to know if they are all right. and in these circumstances to try and make the right decision there is really no right decision.
2: No, there isn't.
0: You never know what will happen and we had a lot a lot of discussions either to move to more safe place inside ukraine uh, together with my husband even this was difficult to decide because even the road the trip to that place is dangerous you even don't know what could happen while you are uh, at the road so yes it was hot it was tough
2: yeah, I can imagine. What's been a very
1: important change for you living in Kiev and Ukraine now? I mean, obviously, it's the bombing and and, and the unknown. But from a day-to-day lifestyle, what's really changed in, in your life? The daily
0: routine. Yeah. <laughs> it is now depending on air raid alarms. Actually, we went to another city for two months. We lived in Western Ukraine, in Lviv, for two months. Now we are back in Kiev. And uh, when we were there, everything has changed because you are far from your your ordinary normal environment, uh, from your neighborhood, you don't know anything and you still have bombing there. But at least at that time, there were no active combat there in Western Ukraine. That's why we decided we should have a try and relocate there. Because um, we relocated on the third week of war from Kiev and um, the enemy's troops were near Kiev and somewhere on its outskirts. Yeah. So it was dangerous to stay. We afraid of occupation could start even so. And uh, the daily routine, even after returning, is different. For example, I sleep more in mornings. I get up later than usually because it's uh, often the air raid alarms at night, and I cannot force myself leave the bed. But uh, fortunately, I can walk remotely, and it gives me a chance to change my schedule, my daily schedule. My kids are no longer living with us as they used uh, before war. They are grown-up guys, but still they were here. Uh, We had a lot of their friends here, a friendly and noisy flat, Uh, but now it's come and empty, <laughs> and uh, a lot of new feelings, a lot of new, little bit uh, philosophic, if you can say that, um, mm-hmm. state of mind, because I began uh, to understand uh, how precious, very simple things are, the mm-hmm. coffee, the mm-hmm. sun, some calm sounds, sounds of my neighborhood, mm-hmm. smells, not of the smoke but of spring for example these feelings became very intense like you can even cry from it yeah just like that Yeah. yeah
1: and do the men in ukraine do they show their emotions like women do about the war do they talk about it? Like, I think women are very good at talking about mm-hmm. things that need to be talked about. Do you find they are able to talk about how you have very eloquently said to us about things that have changed through the day? Do they talk about it?
0: It differs from men to men, as you can imagine. <laughs> My husband is, uh, is a sensitive man. Yes, we can talk about it. And I'm grateful for that because I can share my feelings with him and to hear about uh, his feelings. My eldest son, he is far from me, he is abroad. He's stuck there because he was on a business trip when it began. And he talked about it as well uh, in messages, chat, And my younger one, he is 19 years old. He was calming me Mm -hmm. when I was very, very afraid. He is tall and thin and he was hugging me. And yes, and when I could not decide either we have to leave, either we have to stay. And I talked to him how I'm afraid. And he was talking to me as well and (laughs) said very grown up things for me. Yeah. Very adult. For example, my my father, he is more, um, not so tend to share his emotions. to yes. show them. Yeah, And he is abroad now. Uh, we are far from each other, but he tends to talk not so much about what, but his feelings about what I mean, yeah. but about his feelings to me. And okay. that's very different from what's. Earlier, yes, and very touching and yes. very supportive. Yeah, That's great.
2: it must be amazing, actually, because I guess you have conversations now that you wouldn't have dreamt of having when you weren't in that situation. Actually, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah, just after the invasion, on the television news, we were watching people in communities, groups of women learning how to make Molotov cocktails and learning how to fire guns and all of that kind of thing. Did you see any of that going on? Were you aware of that?
0: I know about that, but I don't know anyone personally who is involved in active war. I mean, among women. Mm -hmm. I know the men who are, but not women. But yes, our women are very brave and strong, and I saw a lot of discontent in social media and so on. And uh, uh, for example, the wife of people who gave us shelter in uh, Western Ukraine, she is in the army. I am not acquainted with her myself, but she is in the army. she's actively involved. Yeah, women are, are not weaker than the men here. No. No, with a great spirit and big desire to defend the country. Yeah,
2: I think that's something that's come across to the whole world, actually, about how brave people are in Ukraine. And from your president, right, everyone's defiant and everyone's kind of going, no, you're not coming into our country. And, you know, I think that's really admirable. I think that the whole world is amazed and proud of Ukraine. Susie was asking earlier about everyday life. What about the shops? Are you still able to buy the same amount of food and clothes and all
0: of that kind of thing? It depends from city to city because if you are somewhere in the eastern Ukraine now, you definitely cannot buy anything and they cannot even have food cooked or something because everything is ruined and doesn't work. But here... In the first days, it was difficult to find um, some food and grocery, not because they were not here, but because a lot of people who walked in shops and so on, some of them went to the army, some of them became refugees. So there were not people to walk, because yeah. I can talk about my experience in Kiev only or in Lviv. And uh, here from the first days of war, You can imagine that all the stocks did not uh, disappear. They were there on the shelves, but there were not people who can uh, sell it, for example. There were difficulties with bread because people were buying it for the first thing. And our plant who produces the bread, all the drivers went to army and there were no drivers to deliver bread to shops. And a lot of shops were closed for first weeks. Some of them are still closed, especially the small one. But uh, the big one, especially grocery, they are working and... Almost all the food is there, not all, but almost all. We are lucky here, really, comparing to to the Southern east cities. Ukraine yeah. oh yeah, yeah. even Kharkiv, even south we we are lucky here in Kiev. It must have been such a relief
2: when you were able to come back to Kiev. I'm assuming that was when the Russian army pulled back and decided to take themselves down to the east actually which was awful, but it must have been a relief for you to get back home at that stage.
0: Yes, a great relief. I couldn't wait when we came back. I uh, because, yes, I, I was missing my home and uh, a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very happy when we, we, when we returned. Although all my plants were dead. Trust. Oh, no. <laughs> Not all, not on one
1: of them When you are in a war like you are at the moment, and who knows, we all wish it would just finish, it really would. When you look at the news coverage, do you find sometimes that you want to switch off and you don't want to keep hearing the news because it's the same old stuff? Or do you find that you have to, it's very important to listen to the news and what's happening on a day-to-day basis? How do you cope with the news every day?
0: it's difficult to cope really it's like you feel need to know and uh, to check often now it's just often at the beginning it was always every minute all the time now it's often in the same time you really want to switch off everything and not to know not to hear, not to read. I almost read, not hearing the news. Because to see or to hear is more horrible for me than to read. It's uh, my way to cope. But I understand that I cannot switch off uh, the news totally because uh, elsewhere I, I became to be worried what is happening. I need to know and I don't want to know at yeah. the same time. yeah. It's very, yeah. yeah, very true. I, I think
2: it same. it brought the situation home to me when we were talking the other day Tatiana, and I said to you, can we record this interview at eight o'clock at night? And you said, well, it's not a great idea because that's really when the air raids start to get really, really bad. And then we'd probably have to stop doing the recording and I'd have to move out into you know, safety. And it kind of really brought it home to me that your day-to-day life is about the war, really, isn't it? You, you are in constant danger. And you were also talking about an app that you have. Tell us about the app. Yes,
0: we have an app that makes a very, very huge sound of a Syrian when there is an air raid danger and then we need to go to shelters. Now everyone decides for themselves where and how to hide From the bombing. This app doesn't mean that uh, the bomb will will necessarily hit uh, your neighborhood. It means that there is a danger that some missile was launched and uh, they cannot predict the uh, strict direction of where it will go. But they uh, warn us. And this is the moment when everybody needs to decide either to go to some bop shelter. But uh, most people now, at least in Kiev, hide uh, not in the basements, but in the um, hallways or landings and something like that. And when, when the danger is off, uh, then the, another sound. wants out about this and we can um, continue with our everyday life. Mm-hmm. and uh, and that's why i said that my everyday routine was uh, the main thing what has changed because for example uh, can you imagine when we have online meeting or something and air raid alarm sounds And I need to postpone all my work because it's not comfortable to walk in a small hallway with laptop on my knees. Sometimes I do it because I need to because the work is urgent. But most times you just sit and check the news just to know that everything is okay in your neighborhood and with your loved ones and sometimes these can continue for 2 hours or even 3 hours It can be at night um, and you cannot sleep properly.
1: How did you get to know that the best places to take cover were the areas that you were talking about? How did you decide that's what you were going to do? Were you given advice or was it a community collective decision or was it your area that you live in? How did you all decide where the safest place would be?
0: Before the war, we were warned by the government that in case of war and bombing, there are the shelters in the city and Each city even had its own map of the shelters. Unfortunately, there are not proper bomb shelters in Ukraine because we were a peaceful country. So the most often ordinary basement of ordinary houses were used as bomb shelters. And um, first several uh, nights I spent in such basement of my house, apartment house, where I live. But, you know, uh, you are not prepared to such experience and you don't know for sure what's the best way to do. And what we have done, we searched information online and uh, in social media. And there were advices of people who are experienced in war in surviving, who, uh, for example, uh, told about uh, the rule of two walls. I don't know if you are familiar with that. And that's why we decided to hide where we are hiding now. Because it turned out that if you don't have a bomb shelter, it could be dangerous to hide in a basement, in ordinary basement, because If the house collapses, rings, you can be trapped under all these uh, wreckles, And and, uh, who knows, Mm. will you be safe or not? That is why it might be more safe for missile strikes, not very often bombing and fire. In our case, it will be safer to use this uh, rule of two walls when one wall is the wall where the windows are. Wall to the outside wall, <sighs> and you should sit or hide after the second wall. For example, in the hallway, because the first wall takes the strike, mm. the heat and the second one takes uh, the pieces of uh, everything. Yes. The, the, the rubble, off, yeah, has yeah. exploded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: it's almost the buffer, isn't it? Yes,
0: that, that's. It cannot defend from the straight missile hit. No, but it can defend from if the missile hit somewhere nearby.
2: Tatiana, we've never on Women Making Waves had a conversation like (laughs) this before. (laughs) And it's absolutely fascinating for us, but also awful, because people should not be having to live the way that you're living in fear. So sorry. And I really, really hope it's going to be over soon.
1: Is there anything you want to say, Tatiana, to the audience if there was something that you'd like to get across and, and some more
0: message? Maybe from my experience that we need to live the full life every minute we have an opportunity to do this because you never know what can happen. We never expected the war really will happen. And now I understand how important it is to enjoy every moment of your life and to be aware of dangers that could happen still and to be prepared to defend yourself and your family. It may sound strange, but even in our modern world, it is important to be prepared to a lot of things that could happen to anyone in any place of the world, unfortunately. So if you can enjoy your life and remember that it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and remember that it's very fragile and if you can help those you love or those you know or those you don't know even but you want to help, Help them because a lot of people now, not only Ukrainian, are in need of help because it's terrible to be far from home and not to know when you can come back and to be worried about what will happen to your loved ones who are here. And I feel very grateful uh, to those who are helping us all around the world, all of our people. That's incredible, this, this level of support and help. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much
2: indeed, Tatiana prejl for taking the time out to talk to us today.